0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bench Units podcast. I'm James McSorley. And as always, I'm joined by the top 100% of Shinedown listeners, according to Spotify wrapped last year. Mark Schofield, how are you doing?
1: Top 100%, as in everybody ever.
0: Yeah. You're the only person that ever listens to them. That was the joke. Uh, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you. And I will accept no Shinedown slander on this podcast or in life in
0: general. Shinedown all look like if you took a picture of, if you showed me a picture of any of them and were like, this guy is into swords, I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I, you must be talking about, there's like the one
1: iteration of them where I think the singer had really long hair. Like a couple of them got Mohicans and like braids. Exactly. <laughs> but that, I the thing I get more now is like anyone who I ever tell I listen to Shinedown, they're like, oh, are you a truck driver from Florida? <laughs> it's like, no, they just, are like a band that are a bit unique sounding in like the rock music space. So they're pretty good and no one else has done it as well as them yet. And uh, it was... I would
0: like to apologize to anyone listening who didn't expect Shinedown discourse. Uh, and anyone who did, please think better of us, even though we give you no reason to. Um, all right, should we talk just, about some games? <laughs>
1: just my credentials. I'd like to say I was actually in the top 0.5% of all Shinedown listeners, which I was very proud of. Anyway, on we go.
0: Uh, That's worse. All right, so we're going to start by, as usual, talking about games in Spain. But first, I think Mark wants to mention a handful of games that we're kind of barely going to skim the surface of on account of there not really being much beneath it.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: So this is a new
1: thing we're doing. And if games are... if we don't want a particular game to take away from a lot of the episode... Well, I think it's a known fact at this point that we don't divvy up the hour plus equally between the 10 or 11 games that we've been on. We're just going to read the highlights of... Well, highlights being a a loose term. Um, We're going to just rattle off the scores of some of the kind of less important or impactful games and free up the rest of the hour for whatever we want to talk about with what we deem to be the most listener-worthy ones. So... First up, we're going to go Mediba 57, Joventut 35. And we'll just hit some quick stats. John Hernandez with 22. Salvador Sandoval with 14 for Mediba. Super low scoring game. Um, Joventut side, 10 for Fabian Castilla. And then 11 for Salvador Gutierrez. Um yeah, this was the Joventut games and nothing spectacular generally. And this one was a who can like a who can who have a go at stopping John and his chair. And the answer was few people on this team. Here. Um, should we do the next? Do you want to do for all and Amiab? If you've got sure.
0: Um, for all Amiab was Amiab 94 for all 52 uh, on the Amiab side of the ball. Um Thirty-two for Lee Manning, fifteen from sixteen. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of nineties and eighties in the shooting percentages <laughs> here, uh, which is funny. Um, we should
1: throw in that Lee's fifteen from sixteen actually brought his percent his um, overall percentage down with his two point shooting because he was a hundred percent from three.
0: <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, ben went eight from nine. Phil five from seven. Harry two from four. Fran Lara one from one. Yeah, no one shot below 50% because they shot a lot of layups. Um,
1: 75% as a team. <laughs> yes,
0: uh, nice number. Other side of the ball, um, Lorenzo Wembo had 14, Carl uh, Schulz had 18, um, Pedro Paz had 10, not much else going on, um, a 6 and a 4 off the bench, and yeah. So yeah, not really a whole lot to talk as, about there, but as expected, I think get those numbers up, guys. Why not?
1: Um, we'll head to Germany very quick, so we get to break out the third digit very early in the podcast. Um, this was Thuringen Bulls one hundred and twelve against thirty one from Hot Rolling Bears. And James, do you remember what the highest plus minus we've seen so far this season is?
0: Plus well, sixty four.
1: Plus 64. That was also in a Bulls game and that belongs to Joachim Linden. He's been outdone because Marie Kier had to play all 40 minutes of this game uh, I think because Carly Spodniex wasn't available for Bulls and she <laughs> finished the game with a plus 81. <laughs> <God>. um, <laughs> somewhat, somewhat artificially inflated but if your plus minus is like two points a minute then you're doing okay. Um, that was contrasted by Lena Nippelmeyer of hot rolling bears, having a minus 78 in 37 and a half minutes. And I don't think I've ever seen a minus 30, sorry, a minus 78 before. But shout out to them. Um, 34 for Vahid, 18 for Oluski. And then three guys in double figures off the bench with Jordi off the bench for 17, Ari Twig off the bench for 18, uh, Hubert Hager with 11. And yeah, this was exactly as according to the, you know, how this game was meant to go. I think Beringen beat teams like this. Sure. And slightly closer, but also I think the pattern here is that they're generally the games involving the bottom of the league team. So this is pretty slanderous of us, but this was Munsterland taking care of business against Hamburg, 62-52. Um, shout out to Julian Lammering of Munsterland, who had 28, which... In a game where Matthias Bellas only had five and Zora Muller had 15, that would have sounded like a losing recipe for Munsterland. But, yeah, young guy, Lammering stepped up big right there. Um, This doesn't seem like a game in which Munsterland's two main guys could have really afforded to take one off. like They generally have to do most of the carrying. But, yeah, Munsterland's got some some tools in the box, I guess. Um, On the Hamburg side, 19 for Kai Muller. 12 for Marmodee Troury and 10 for Paul Jachnik. But yeah, Munsterland taking care of business and still in with a shout for the fourth place in the German playoffs, which would be, I think, no secret that Bench Units is looking forward to that, <laughs> that being the case, because we're like the most niche Munsterland fans of all time. Yes. Anyway, should we get to the games that we want to spend some time on?
0: All right, so first game of the weekend in Spain was Murcia 64, Gran Canaria 57. Um, this was quite fun, and I was trying to figure out why I enjoyed it so much, and I figured out that I just enjoy Lee Fryer taking it to anyone that we have previously spoken about being too quick to handle. Um, yeah, big, big game from Lee, obviously. Um, 22 points... Um, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. And yeah, this game was obviously pretty close. Um there was a point earlier on in the game where I was like, this is this is this is close, but it feels weird to me. And I think it was because there was a point where Mercia were making or missing layups, and Gran Canaria were living or dying by contested long twos, and I was like, eh, okay, this is probably gonna tip towards the team that's getting layups at some point. But
1: yeah, I mean the um I think the interesting thing here is it was basically you could simplify this game down to like a two-on-two battle, essentially. Um mm-hmm. on the Mercy side, you've got Lee with twenty-two and Lalo Priesa with twenty-six. And then on the Grand Canaria side you've got Alexi Romney with twenty-eight and Jorge Salazar with eighteen. So I mean those two pretty much cancel each other out, but for a couple of points here and there, and then it was double f- it was single figures for every other scorer in the game. Um two bench points for Mercy of four bench points for Grand Canaria and just kind of a four and a six here and there ended up being the difference. But I thought the Lee and Ramone matchup was pretty interesting. Um Yeah. I Ramune... want to watch
0: those guys go like one on one full court for yeah, 40 it,
1: minutes. Like it, it kind of reminds me of like when I take the dogs to the park.
0: <laughs> oh my God, you can't say this about people. I don't I, even know what you're going to say yet.
1: It's like Otto, the Dachshund is always like super feisty and he just wants to find another dog. He wants to run around and create chaos with him. And he generally goes like four or five older and slower dogs and they're like, yeah, I'm not interested. man. And he'll eventually find one who's like, hey, yeah, let's just sprint up and down for like half an hour solidly until we're tired. And that's basically, I feel like Ramone's been on that tour this whole like season, where he's like, does anyone just want to fly up and down with me? And he's like, yeah, go on, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I thought this was... I thought Lalo was kind of the main factor in terms of... I think we've talked about Salazar a bunch of times and how he's made his living at this point defending, you know, taller, stronger guys.
0: Yeah, defending upper point, basically, Maybe like some, as a 3-5. Yeah.
1: Taking the biggest guy on the other team uh, as a smaller big himself, and I, we've seen other teams try and roll that out against Lalo and it generally ends pretty badly because he is built to manhandle anybody who is not as physically imposing as he is which <laughs> Salazar's not far off but it felt like Lalo got inside and him getting inside and getting shots away was probably the most consistent look on either end uh, Ramone did still manage to pick and choose his spots and you know kind of get inside via drives and stuff but it felt like he was endlessly hunting the weak link in the defence with the ball in his hand and that's a lot of work to be in when Gran Canaria didn't get a whole lot from their supporting guys. They got combined seven points from their three starters that weren't Ramone or Salazar. Yeah, yeah, I thought Mercia were able able to keep going back to the well and Lalo was shooting 64% and Mercia with 12 from 12 free throws as well in a A seven point win is a huge stat. This is also the most accurately statted Mercia game I think we've looked at all year.
0: Yes. And maybe the most accurately statted Grand Canaria game ever. Um, (laughs) We know it's only their home games that are bad because there's one guy standing and handing out water and doing everything. But I think that's the thing. Like, if you can keep Grand Canaria sort of who love to move the ball, and it's a lot of like, pick-and-roll, pass-pass, spot-ups, and if you can kind of take those away, you kind of break the chain a little bit and kind of gums down, and then you're just going, all right, Ramonet, what can you do? All right, Salazar, what have you got? And they obviously did well between the two of them, but they you see, like, Gran Canario win these games when it's, like, Ramonet, 20-something, Salazar, 20-odd, and then you've got 12 from three other guys, and they just don't have that, like... Well, Raul was kept quiet, full stop. Luigi struggled from outside and Driss really struggled to finish. In this game, I think, obviously, you're playing against four bigs most of the time. Like, it's not that, like, it's not, you're not blowing wide open ones like I did, which we'll get (laughs) on to. But,
1: But yeah, I thought the one other, like, small but crucial element of this was like you say, you've got four bigs of here and four guys who are very capable of putting the ball in the basket, even though Joaquin Robles and Pablo Zosrela weren't very efficient between the two of them. We saw, I think, third quarter, we saw um, Gran Canaria kind of go with the idea of, you know, let's see if we can force them to dump it to Lourdes Ortega, who's their female low, who obviously makes the points work in that lineup and they left her open at the top of the key once and she drilled it and then left her nailed open it. For it yeah. and she nailed that as well. <laughs> it's like okay that's you know when you're effectively defending an offense that you feel like plays four on five a lot of the time and then the fifth option will nail the two chances you give them that's yeah you're not flushed with options at that, that point
0: Yeah that's it
1: Cool anything else on Grand Canaria? I feel like we've touched up Touched everything on this one?
0: Um, no, I just think it's funny to look at the stats when they both shot like they shot thirty-nine to forty percent. Uh Mercia made five more free throws and took a couple extra shots, and that's the difference in a game like this. Sometimes it's weird to to look yeah. at that and be like, okay, where was the like obviously we've spoken about the like the qualitative element of the, the information that we've got, but the quantitative stuff is interesting where it's like, ah, if you Pulled another board down or turned the ball over once less or whatever, like that might tip the scale. But
1: yeah, definitely yeah. fine margins. I think, um, underrated in all of that as well, just to that point, is 16 offensive rebounds for Mercia.
0: Yeah, that's what I, don't, I mean. Like,
1: I don't know if it felt like that in the game. Um, no. it just, I don't. Recall any stretch where it felt like Grand Canary couldn't get a rebound, but I guess four offense, 16 offensive rebounds is
0: four a quarter, isn't it? So that's yes. like, and like two of them could be, three yeah. of them could be put backs. Yeah. Which don't really, like, I don't know. I don't feel like, I don't think like a put back off your own layup or post up is really moving the needle in terms of creating more offense. It's just finishing the offense that you have already created. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Shall we move on? Let's do it. Okay, Amphib Vigo, 54, Leganese, 71. So this game was close until it wasn't in <laughs> the middle of the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, Amphib Vigo were missing Jason Betancourt. Um Don't know what's happening there, but hope he's all right. And obviously, Amphib are kind of sort of thin on the ground most of the time anyway. They like to play five or six people most of the time, and this ended up being just five, obviously. Um You're moving Hillevi Hansen into the starting lineup when she's maybe used to... I'm trying to think. Yeah, she plays 10 minutes a game normally, according to these stats. Thank you, stats. And, <laughs> you know, you're asking a lot of someone to step up from coming in normally because of foul trouble or in spot minutes to go and play 40 I thought she I was, that's thought what she was pretty good. Sorry. In terms
1: of, in terms of um, obviously, she doesn't replace Jason Bettencourt one for one because he's the size of probably two or three. I kids. was just
0: going to say, if you put two of her in a chair with a large coat. Um, um,
1: but, um, yeah, I thought she actually, I thought she was really disrespected by Las Rosas, Las Rosas, you know what I mean. Um, yes, Las like,
0: Rosas wearing a different hat and a fake moustache, leganese
1: And a big coat. Um
0: uh, yes. Yeah, I thought they were sponsored they, by uh, Coates Uh thank you. They
1: really tested her when they twigged that she was gonna have to play a lot of minutes and she kinda answered the bell. She was five from eight finished. They were all pretty easy looks, Garrett. Yeah, uh,
0: playing with I think so you will kind of get yeah. those looks generated for you a lot of the time. Like he's pretty good at yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I, th- I thought she came in and did a job, but they obviously Vigo with five guys playing. 40 minutes, and I'll clear out for you in a second because you'll want to talk about Cano, I imagine, but um, you literally just, you look at the Leganes bench, and they brought in Philip Halfley off the bench, and Fernando Cantero, who I don't think has played for them up until this point in the season, um, he looked, I think he's a new arrival.
0: No, he's uh, been around for years, obviously, but yeah. he just hasn't played a whole lot.
1: Um but yeah, the two guys they brought in who played heavy minutes off the bench were a plus 24 and a plus 20, respectively. Um, yeah. Which, when you look at a 17-point game against a, a team that rolled five people out, it's not massively surprising that the team that was able to get some rotation in maybe got both a spark of energy and the ability to roll out a different look. Um, that was maybe as simple as it gets, but... I'll let you talk about Kano now because I imagine this game had you thoroughly excited.
0: Yeah, what a man. What <laughs> a man. Um now obviously I think that's the difference. Like when you go for I mean you go 40 minutes with five guys and then you like sounds reductive, but they kind of ran out of steam a little bit and Kano had it. Like I feel like he was just like there was a point where he was like in the fourth quarter where it was like layup, lay up, three, layup. And obviously in a game that's that close, when you're running out of steam watching a guy who still has the energy reserves to go and get to the basket and then hits a three like that breaks your back completely. Like I think Um obviously like as you say they had a new rotation. I think part of the reason that we haven't seen um Cantero is because the female one pointer, the Argentinian whose name I can't quite remember which is going to annoy the life out of me.
1: Yasmin yeah, Sellis. So
0: oh, yes. Um, thank you. Um, yeah. So they were able to run that lineup, which they hadn't been, um, which makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah uh, was- but yeah, they just, you get to the end of the game and you're running out of steam. And a guy's just, it seems like he's found a new gear that must be heartbreaking. But he ended up with 32 points, 14 from 21. Um eleven rebounds, four assists, yeah. plus seventeen uh,
1: yeah. Well, yeah, that was um, I actually thought Kano played his most one of the most cerebral games you will see from him, um because I think for a kind of two and a half to three quarters, he kind of played off the rest of the guys, and I felt before, and I've heard people say before that. Cano is maybe an underrated spot up shooter because he doesn't do it a lot. He's very ball in hand. Yeah, and I thought he was pretty good as a spot up guy for a couple of quarters, and also like cutting without the ball, which I think is maybe more open for him at this point now that they can put some more bigs around him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, same, same way that Julio Velas does for Vigo. But
0: yeah, that's an interesting role because he's like a these. He's a big guy, I like it. Don't know if it comes across on streams as much, but like he's, he's he's like big and long and can certainly finish inside.
1: Yeah, and there was a couple where I think when things were getting dicey, there was a couple when he had um what was Figo's low pointer called? Uh Noah. Yeah, no, He had her on him at his like on his foot plate at the free throw line and it was just like a post-up and finish, which I think is him feeling the game out a little bit and kind of doing what he has to to keep them in touch and then like you said is that it got time to take it away and he's like okay this is on me now which is this is ridiculous but that's the kind of thing that people praise like lebron james for being able to feel the game out and then take over as needs be and kind of was just like yeah i also have that it's i think it's
0: really funny to be like all right cool let's go i might be able to beat these guys to the basket gets to the basket a couple of times and then is like i don't know you take two layups and you're like, okay, heat check. I'm going to pull a three in transition. (laughs) It wasn't in transition, Uh, but
1: (laughs) I I always think with that stuff, when people are like, Oh, this player, you know, they let the game come to them for three quarters. Like Chris Paul is somebody you hear like NBA commentators say, about, let the game come to them for three quarters. And then they take over when they need to. And it's like, well, if if it's that simple, why don't they just do that in the first quarter? <laughs> Why are we leaving all of this in the balance? Like, we try to see how difficult we can make it and how heroic we can look. But yeah. Kano did look pretty damn heroic. So what do I know?
0: Yeah, I let's 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 calm on with the comparisons. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, big game from him, and yeah, no, I think plus minus being in that in being sort of favoring the guys that can. Really get up and down the floor. The handful of guys that Leganes have that can really get up and down the floor. Um, Leganes, I don't think
1: they went to it at any point, but they've legitimately got a lineup now. If you roll out Cano, uh, Cantero Hafley, and then if you can squeeze Matias Mendez and I think Pablo Kubo in there, you can run that five out. If I'm doing my maths right, but they've that's legit five guys that can get up and down the floor. Um, which they've not had that concoction really up to this point. So we might actually see a Leganese team that can vary the pace up rather than just going with different variations of kind of slow-paced offense. So that's something to keep an eye on going forward. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Up nice. next, do you want to tell us about this one? Bid-Eydeyac, Bilbao 75, and Malaga 65
0: yeah so this was weird um big thing of this i don't know how much came across on the stream or whatever but minute or so like a minute or two to go peter kuzak um hurt his shoulder pretty bad so the game was sort of in the balance we we're there thereabouts i think david had just hit two threes which gave us a bit of distance and man any chance that Malaga might have had a comeback there. I think was pretty deflated with that big, that one because that's horrible. Like having to see a guy like that sort of come off two minutes to go and obviously in a up, lot of pain.
1: Really up to that point as well is something we should point out.
0: Yeah, that's well. Yeah, and like that lineup was doing well for them, and yeah, that was. It's weird because, like, I will get into the basketball stuff, but yeah, I don't think Pete Kuzak listens to this because I don't think he likes me enough. Um, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> no, he's he's the man, and I hope he gets back soon because that was horrible. Um, but yeah, so rest of the game, we started four big and Lucas, and I, I, I want to call him Globner because it says this on the stats. because they have that weird the german letter that looks like it's written like a b but it's pronounced like a like an s but uh, yeah.
1: like a b on a stick
0: yeah lucas globner um i should do asmr Just globner because i know he listens to this um are probably going to be listening to it while he shoots when i'm in the room tomorrow but <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is weird this is getting strange but yeah so we came out uh Took us a little minute to get going because we were late to get to the game because of some issues in traveling and people who were driving buses knowing where courts were. Um, So we got there like last minute. The game was delayed. Um, Took us a minute to get going. And Chema was the one that got us going. He had a great game. Hit some big shots, especially in this first stretch. And I don't know, we were up 10 in about eight minutes and then we were tied in two, which I feel like we do. Semi regularly, and we did a couple of times in this game where we'd be like 20 to 10, and like we might have been like 18, 8 up, and then it was 18, 14 all of a sudden. Like, um, but just a little lapses of concentration, maybe, or it's hard to tell if it's lapses of concentration or if it's other good professional basketball team full of good players has a good run and figures something yeah. out.
1: I think it's even in the time we've been doing the roundup episodes or whatever, I think you can see the the quality of the teams have improved in the sense that I feel like most teams that you play week in and week out can put a 6-0 run together at the very least now, um, which has not always been the case. And especially in the first quarter, as a general rule, if you can close the first quarter on a 6-0 run, you've either pulled yourself back into it or you've pulled away properly. Um, And, you know, they were able to get... A little bit of momentum going there. I think that was after you guys had gone to the lineup with yourself and David. I can't remember when that came in.
0: Um mid-second quarter at some point And man, we stunk it up for a little minute. I did not know what was going on. <laughs> um although well, I was talking about this, I mentioned my missing layups earlier. The stats are very generous. It's M zero for two here, I've zero from three. And all three of them, I was like, How in God's name has that rolled out? which was compounded by the fact that at one point when they went on their runs or of mid-fourth quarter, Esparza hit a three that hit the back of the rim, went straight up in the air and dropped in. And I literally was like, and I can't get a layup to roll in. Or <laughs> you but um... yeah.
1: Um, so from your perspective, tell me about Malaga at this point, because they, I think I've kind of branded them as being, less than the sum of the parts up to this point in the season, uh, in terms of not being the best coalesced group of talent.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it is just, I must just be growing pains because it's a weird one. Like I was speaking to you about it where it's like, they haven't been great apart from the last couple of games there. Obviously, I think the fact that they're better now than they were at the start of the season might be an indication that it is growing pains, but like, I don't know. Like, I came into the game you're like we should be fine, but also you think okay you've got Abdi over here and you've got Kyle over here and you've got, Esparza and either Kuzak or Kozarenia, um, <laughs> at any given point to contend with. It's like that. That's there's some problems to solve there. Like it's not.
1: Yeah, I thought we talked about Pete obviously, but I thought he actually was. I think Esparza's had two good games in a row since. Um, the season came back in January. Yeah. I thought Pete's willingness in this game, especially to play a very simplified offensive role and just cut and finish, meant that Malaga weren't always looking for a better option. Um, there was a lot of stuff where they would get like one cut or half a cut enough to bring a defender just like a shade over. And Kyle was like, okay, this is enough for me to shoot this. And he. I think he made one or two in the first quarter and Esparza made them going into the second quarter. And it kind of felt like Pete's ability to cut inside and Cozzarino when he came in got some slips to the basket just like beating his guy and getting inside. And I think their inside game opened up their outside game a little bit more than it has up to this point in the season where I feel like they've tried to go outside first a lot and work their way in. I thought they got the right balance from watching it. Um, I also know you mentioned Chema. <laughs> I think Chema might be maybe like top five in the world of guys who are like okay, we're spending this quarter or this point of the game looking for our offensive ceiling. I might be the safest offensive floor in terms of if it's not working, just throw me the ball behind the screen or like a chair length inside the elbow, and I'll bank it. It'll be fine. Yeah, but he's kind, it's of, kind of the safety valve of everything that you guys are are out there to do, and it, he came through for you. Big time in this
0: one. He's great. Um yeah. Um he was great all that. like he did this for a season, last season, and doesn't need to do it as much, obviously, now that it, the sort of lineups have changed and everyone's back and whatever. But yeah. he can still do it and is the man. And it's funny we're talking like we're talking about that. Like he what was he, eleven from nineteen, um Asier was four from ten, Papi nine from nineteen. Manu only two from six, um, but the game swung where we were kind of five like single figures up for a lot of the game, and they brought it back to tied, if not up um yeah, they were up two at one point, um I think, um, just from as I say, Kyle knocked a couple of threes down as Barza knocked a couple of threes down at this point, becausezarini was on the floor. Um Abby kept them going quite well earlier. There was a couple of he was only three from six like looking at this, but there were a couple of times that I was like he's only three from six because he hits three in a row and you go, oh, okay, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. We're not we're not gonna do this. Whoever <laughs> is beside him is on his footplate and like and having to do that for a one when you've got like a hat, like a Upper limb disability too, who's got core strength. You've got a four five, you got a three five, and you get another mid pointer in there at any given point, like some problems. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it was an interesting one to try and figure it out. But I think offensively we knew we'd be able to go inside and finish off. And as I said, Gemma is the man, and then we go back to four big then middle of the third, I think, and or start of the third. And then uh, Asier has his fifth file. Me and David come back in. I turned, I started the fourth quarter. I said to David, All right, just like last year, do you think you can get to 35? <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and, as, a, as a joke and I, he was like, Not in 10 minutes. I was like, it's, You shoot like 11 threes and make them all. You'll get there. It's fine. Um, but he yeah,
1: got I going. Thought, I thought it was interesting with that lineup because you guys, I think, in your first stint when you played out part of the second quarter, you and David as a unit were like minus eight coming yeah,
0: in. Yeah, we stunk it up. Yeah. Uh it was you,
1: you then dipped when you came in when RCA came out, you guys dipped to being minus twelve between the, well, each. Um yeah. but then you finished the game on a minus three each. So you obviously haven't got over the hump of like changing the lineup and reestablishing. that that we'd obviously cut the minus 12 in half by making those two threes but that's obviously enough to point out you guys finished the game or came close to finishing the game on a nine on a plus nine split so that's the bulk of your 10 point win right there so that lineup did get it together yeah as you needed it to but yeah you did cut it cut it fine in the process for sure yeah it
0: is one of those like cliche game of runs thing where at the start of their fourth quarter they had a couple of big threes that kind of deflated us then we had our little run and as I say they might have had the last run in them but for Pete blowing a shoulder up and yeah it's horrible to see a game finish because of something like that but like that we were 10 we were at 10 I think by the time that happened so it was fine but it's like in theory they could have had a run in there but Yeah, don't know if anyone felt like playing much basketball. I don't know, maybe everyone else did, and I was just sad.
1: But big picture for Malaguer is going forward, they've now got Pete and Lewis Edwards out for some to be determined period of time by the looks of things. So, considering how much stock they were putting in playing kind of fast units and pressing units and whatever, they don't really have that option now. Um, they're also without Jesus Romero for this game, which is why. Gabriela Navarro started in his place. Um
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what the deal yeah, is there either. But
1: Yeah, they're getting um getting a little bit thin on that front really, and they I think they're just gonna have to lean into this kind of effectively their starting unit with Cosarinha in in Pete's place and the options off the bench behind that aren't hugely inspiring. So yeah, tough run for them by the looks of things.
0: Yeah. Malaga struggling for like strange in between mid pointers is not something that I had on my bingo <laughs> card for this year, but yeah, hope everyone who was out gets back soon.
1: Yeah, great. Cool. Oh, next, next. One. so Valladolid, Lid Aliados seventy four Ilunion eighty in right. what described to you as the most fraudulent six point game I have ever seen.
0: Yeah, so me and you were going to... We were in the middle of a conversation about this and we had a save it for the pod conversation, which is (laughs) hilarious because who do we think we are? But you said that to me. I replied something back and I thought you'd misunderstood me because I basically... You called this a fraudulent six-point game. I assumed you meant because it felt like a union were winning by 20 up until the end of the game. And then I thought you meant something different. Is that what you meant?
1: Yeah, that is exactly what I meant. But you replied to me and was like, Yeah, that was like a 20 point win. No, and I was like, No, that was, it was like 80 to 70. I promise you it was six points. So I think we'd both like tried to. I sec- used
0: the word like correctly rather than just in t- instead of filling dead space and it caused confusion.
1: Fuck you out. Um, yeah, this was, this was a weird one. Um... Illunion win the first quarter 27 11. There's a couple of when it was in like the 8 12 point range across both teams. Um, there was like two or three missed vital lead layups, which I felt like would have stopped Illunion getting away quite as much as they did. Um, yeah, and it felt like With a couple of those misses, it felt like Vitaly were constantly defending in transition, which is not where you want to be against a bigger team. Um, And Bill Latham and Hasso as well, and Amadou to some extent, kind of got early post-ups on them quite a lot. And it just, the kind of misses on Vitaly then felt like they directly fed into a layup for Illunion each time it happened. And the middle two quarters were essentially completely even. The fourth quarter was a nine point Vitalid advantage. And yeah, that got us to six points with Vitalid winning that one 22 13. But it didn't really at any point feel like Illunion were worried about it. And I think you could say something like if Vitalid had stuck even in that first quarter or not been blown out by 16 in that first quarter, then, you know. They would. they might have been able to pull this one out, but I think the reality is if the game had been closer at the start of the fourth, they probably wouldn't have got that run in. Like, that's no. probably how this one goes.
0: Yeah, no, Alan kind of slowed down a little bit. I thought it was interesting that they came out um press lineup. They went Greg Amadou, um Billy Litham, Tom O'Neill, Danny Sticks, and they pressed and it was kind of I don't know, I always think it's interesting to watch teams that obviously People, a lot of people press for defensive reasons but because that's what it is but <laughs> I don't know you see people pressing to kind of get themselves going on offense and I feel like it did like yeah they just I don't know I don't know if that was the function of it but it kind of had the purpose of making them play faster and a bit more direct and you know when you're flying around in transition and you're getting like Tom is Tom is great with the jungle ball stuff um you can like you can be hitting bill and amadou under the basket which they did quite well to very efficient numbers greg's gonna do what greg's gonna do all the time and i think that's where Danny Sticks is at his best when he's just flying around um because i think he's like he's had a couple of games since we've started doing this where he's like been really sort of flying around with a purpose like flying around makes it sound disparaging but I mean just like he's everywhere and he's putting himself apart because he's really physical like he's a really like athletic 1-5 and
1: yeah and in that unit surrounded by those four guys he basically you know he can hit one pick and there's a chance that whoever comes off that pick will just run a layup in but it's, it's not like he has to be massively selective which is probably what you mean when you're saying flying around like it's not like right I need to make sure I'm picking for this guy it's like hey I just need to take a chair out and we've got that four on four, if I've taken a chair out, we definitely have an advantage somewhat.
0: Exactly. Like he goes 16 minutes plus 11 and yeah. takes one shot. Um, but yeah, I like plus minus for low pointers. Like I think with this, it's pretty hard to start low pointers um, effectiveness sometimes. But yeah. And then even when they got into the half court, there's a lot of cool ball movement. And, you know, Greg and Tom both like to keep the ball popping around and, was yeah. like big to big stuff and then and then they rotated and like everyone else had a lot of fun and got involved and Terry wow. Bywater is the most like the most luxury closer of all time I was talking to Hasso about this yesterday and we'll get on to Hasso uh, but getting down to, getting down the stretch and having like ball in Terry's hands and it goes post up over Romo block down the other end pick and roll with Amadou, layup, another make. Yeah, it's like, okay, safest hands in the business. This is like a close-ish game between second and third in the league, but for him it's Saturday at seven. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, exactly that. Um, I thought this was one thing we've, we talked about, keeping an eye on first half of the season, was that the Tom and Amadou lineup hadn't quite found its footing, but I think this might have been Tom's best game in terms of, Knocked a couple of shots down and got his confidence early doors. And then he was, I think he played a very selfless offensive role in like diving and screening for Greg when they, those two were like on the weak side together when Terry was running the offense. Um And I thought he was by a long way, the best guy at defending Romo. Um, Romo kind of had, you know, when you get to like NBA playoff series and the, guys, will, the analysts will be like, you know, he's too strong and too big to be guarded by these guards and he's too quick for these bigs if they want to put it like... That was basically Romo against Lunial. Uh There was one sequence where he beat Terry baseline and then finished over Hasso. <laughs> I was like, what is going on here? But, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought Tom did a great job defending him and I thought the downfall for a lead a little bit was they started with the cj unit and i thought he did a pretty good job at breaking down their perimeter defense but did not shoot well i think he made his first shot and then s- struggled for the rest of the game after that they went to Yelma for a little bit to be a bit bigger and that didn't have the desired effect and if you're if you're going up against the more talented team you've got to have at least one unit that like, even if this unit's not better on paper it has to be something, you know, we need to have something that gives them a tough time. And I felt like neither going small nor going big really gave vitalated a discernible advantage. Um, really, yeah. the reason they stuck in the game was that Adrian Perez was 10 from 11. And yeah. I thought he was really good picking his spots and just finishing with like limited guards on the floor for Elunion for him to go against. I thought he... Picked and rolled very smartly and got decent shots away. But yeah, just 26 for him, 19 for Maxi Ruggieri, who had a pretty quietly good game, 15 for Romo, uh, but then only 7 for CJ and 2 for Yelmer and Lachlan Dalton apiece. So yeah, just not enough from Vitalid, and I think this is going to be their problem when they go up against the top two teams, is I don't think neither their small nor their big unit quite Gives them an advantage. I think either one gives them a chance to hang in there, but not anything that the other team can't handle.
0: Yeah. I wonder, for their sake, it'd be interesting to look at, like, I don't know, because I wonder if their big lineup does any better against Illunion going. Although Illunion going quick isn't Illunion going small. They still go out there with, like, two bigs, a mid, a two that can get his hand on anything. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I wonder if starting Yelmer against that unit and then maybe go in rather than trying to match up, I wonder if going mismatched might've given them a yeah, chance, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. I think this was just a took it away and then kind of took their foot off. But the one thing, the one last thing I have to mention is, did you see, well, if you watched the game, you did, did you see Romo putting Hasso on his ass? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. my God. So I saw, I saw Hasso yesterday because he was in Bilbao. Um right. And he asked me if I was going to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> I told him I was going to. Uh, he told me to send it to him. I even offered to talk about it in Spanish, but he says his English is getting better. Well, okay. it must be if he has to understand like two Aussies, a guy from Lee and a guy from Redcar, um, <laughs> to be fair. Um, but come on, Hasso. Where are you going? Yeah, play um, some defense, man. Pardon? So Play some defense, man. It's, it's the fact that like, I don't know, he probably gets asked to make the effort like that sometimes, closing out in the perimeter when he has to. Finally, gets there. For all you put your foot on the floor, Hasso, and you couldn't stop yourself falling <laughs> over. But yeah, no, hey, like I'm, I'm never going to fault someone who like makes the effort and doesn't get there. But you just have to take that. Like if someone yeah. breaks your ankles, puts you on the floor, and then makes the pull up, just have to take it. But yeah. Over there. there you go, Hasso. I, I spoke about it on the podcast. Are you happy? Um,
1: on that note, shall we head on over to Germany?
0: Uh, yes.
1: Let's do it. Okay, oh. Game of the Week in Germany for some reason happened on a Wednesday. Uh, they occasionally do this in the German League. I don't know why. I think it's just to inconvenience us.
0: <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think they do it for us, but... Um, sure.
1: So, so RSV Landale, 72 versus 61 for Hanover United.
0: Yeah. Man, this was fun. Yeah, this That's one
1: was, was wild. What's your take on this one?
0: Um, So Hanover won the first quarter, 2013. Um, they were up in the beginning. There was a timeout. There was a weird stoppage for something that I don't really understand. I don't know if it was like a technical issue or whatever. But so they started... Um. Rose, Simon, Tommy Bomber, Quentin Zandiga, Matthias Günther, um, couldn't really get going. And then they went. This happened recently. They couldn't get going with that lineup, and then they went, um, four, five, um, they went two, four, fives, two threes, and Katharina Weiss, and that started working for them. And I think it's it's just really interesting because they went super big. Hanover United are pretty big all the time. I think they're five. It's not even, they're not massive in their starters. They're pretty big in their starters, top to bottom, but it's just, there's no one small. It's not like their big, big lineup. It's their no Smalls lineup, I think is the more important part of it because they were able to get like, their early offense was a lot of like quick pick and roll, pass, 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 pass. Okay, who's got a mismatch or who's got a little like 10 foot baseline pull up or who's got like, so they had sort of, yeah, they kind of were getting whatever they want for a while. Jan Haller got to the basket and Koolan won in the first quarter as well, which was sweet. Um, but then that four big lineup that um, Landil have really, really is well drilled. And you'd think teams would be able to take advantage of having a one on the floor, but Landil have just managed to, they're like really, really good at sort of letting her, letting Katarina Vice hold her own and then knowing when to get her out of there. Um, At one point, Hanover went to their bigger lineup with um, Tobias Hell and Thomas McHugh. And there's a weird thing of you can go big to try and match up with those guys, but they still have four guys that can really move their chairs on the floor at any given point. And they went four big and just got out in transition and scored a lot of (laughs) layups, which was... A weird, I don't know, like it was that was a weird result of that adjustment. And then, if you try and over adjust to take it like to sort of take away the height when the height isn't what's killing you, it, you play a dangerous game. And then, they even went to their super big um lineup with Vanessa Erskine on the floor and got killed in that as well because both of those lineups also gave defensively they gave Landell somewhere to have Katarina Vice feeling a bit more safe rather than having someone on her footplate, but yeah, yeah, I think they started well and then Landell figured them out and I always talk about this like, you have enough guys and you'll have well, Tommy's going to have 30 all the time anyway, but you'll have Tommy um scoring and Rio having 24, like
1: Yeah, I think this was we can't, we talked about the first quarter there. We glossed over the fact that it was 20 to 10, and then Landil tried to run an end of quarter play. and Their actual play was for Tommy to get double teamed and shoot a 35 foot left hand hook shot, which he banked in. Um, Do
0: you think they have a um, name for that play?
1: <laughs> I can only hope so. Um, I, I think they call that one Planet. I Aida. saw,
0: sorry, this just reminded me. I saw a clip from uh. I don't remember. There's a movie coming out, and Riff finds is in it as a chef, and he just goes to someone who's like, "Hey, cook, what? Just cook, just cook." And I wonder if that's what a timeout is for Tommy every so often. Hey, just cook.
1: That's well, If even if they're not the exact words, I imagine that's all he hears.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we don't give him enough credit. We just love that. We love how much of a gunner he is.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, I thought this one was, I thought the mids lineup for Hanover really, really kind of got them out to a good start, and they were running very, they were running pretty simple offense, really. There was a lot of, like, pick and roll, one pass inside, one pass back out, and it was a good open shot. Um, Tom McHugh, this is yet another one in his, so far, listening of, he comes in and he You would think from the way he comes in with no fear that he's never heard of the guys he's going up with. Like, he's just there slotting shots away, and you feel like you could grab him after the game and be like, How does it feel to, you know, knock these big shots down against these legends of the game? Like, Oh, really? Who who are those guys? (laughs) Like, that's no no disrespect to his basketball history knowledge, but that he just feels like he's out there just balling. Yeah, I thought Sean Norris, you could very much tell. Landil were planning on taking him away in every possible way they could. Uh, he only had four points. He was just smothered for most of the game. Did have 14 assists, but I think that's the gamble Landil were willing to make. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, I thought Rio coming in, like you said, Rio I thought really broke the game open in terms of doing very unglamorous stuff that ultimately... Um, resulted in either himself or Tommy usually getting a good open shot. Yeah. Um, and I think you could kind of tell Landil do very much take Hanover seriously because I, I pointed this out to you and uh, Mendel in that group chat we were talking about the game, but they Landil are kind of, oh, look how many options we've got. We can afford to play with our food a little bit. And they tend to do that either via rotations or running, you know, nice, patient offense and seeing if they can get kind of everybody touches and get everyone going a little bit. It felt like when it came to crunch time in this game, they're like, right, Tommy gets the ball. Rio is, option, is like the safety option if we get getting behind the screen. And it felt like they knew they just had to run th- those options into the ground to carry them. And Tommy finished with 34, Rio finished with 24. So mission accomplished. But it's rare that you see Landil get so simplified in kind of being willing to settle for the best option re- or the the most reliable option rather than the absolute best holistic option at all times.
0: Yeah. They still like had a healthy diet of their like skip, skip, two guys behind the three-point line and stuff, which I love, but then also... Yeah. They have a yeah. little bit more directness this year, which is really cool to yeah. see because this
1: was the word I was looking for when I I,
0: I. I am a fan of people getting to the basket, um, as people know. Maybe it's just because I can't shoot outside the charge <laughs> circle. Uh, apparently, I can't shoot inside it either. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a crisis. Can you tell? I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: um, I thought this was pretty good performance by Landell overall, and we obviously know we had Yannick on here just before christmas and he was talking about you know they were very aware that there's a chance hanover were at the level where they could take one of these games off them and i think you could tell from watching this game they came out and took this one seriously even even if they didn't have the best first quarter where they were a bit scrappy you could tell there was urgency in picking it up and they kind of ground them down over the remaining three quarters
0: yeah um also speaking of Yannick, not many man, not many minutes. Um I wonder if he's like ill or something, but um yeah. So shall we move on? Yes. So Ryan River Rhino's 77, Skywheelers 46. I have not watched this game because I clicked the link to watch it and it didn't work. And I took it from I took it as a sign from God um not really i just i was this was like the last game i had to watch before we were gonna do this and it didn't work on time and it just yeah i don't know what was happening maybe the (laughs) website was just acting up or god knows but i'm very tired so i i apologize (laughs) i did not watch this game uh mark it didn't look like there was like i'm glad it wasn't a better game that i missed in a way but it didn't look like there was a whole lot to talk about here there were four double-figure scores. Should I pretend I watched this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I tuned into this one and realized Nico Dramula wasn't there for Skywheelers and I'll confess my interest level dropped pretty drastically.
0: Oh God, yeah, no, yeah.
1: At that point. Um, Yeah, I mean, we talked about Rhinos last week. They've kind of, I think they very much wanted to get their season rolling to start the second half against Munsterland, which they did. And I kind of commented at that point they've they're not overly stocked up on the convincing wins, um, be it against you know the teams that the games are important or the the lower down teams that you would expect to just handle their business. But obviously playing a slightly undermanned Skywheelers team, this struck me as a rhinos game where they might have come out and played down to the level of their opponent a little bit. Um, they were obviously pretty intent to not let that happen. And they came out. First quarter wasn't massively convincing and that kind of fueled my suspicion. It was 13-9 after the quarter and then it just kind of ramped up from there. as was 19-8 in the second quarter, 25-14. They really took it away. And then twenty fifteen to close the fourth quarter. And it was a steady diet of Aaron Young getting buckets. Um, Jim Palmer, who we gave the belt to with 14 points last week, has zero points on two shots. So I think we might be seeing the bench unit's curse come around. Oh, no. But, yeah, this was just kind of matter of fact. Get sure. after it and, and take care of business. Um, only a couple of double-digit scores from Skywheelers with Tim Diedrich having 11 and Josie DeHart with 10. But, yeah, um, I think Skywheelers would have been up against it even with even with their main guy in the picture, and he obviously wasn't there for whatever reason. So chalk this one up as Rhinos taking care of business in a way they've not always done, so good for them.
0: Yes. Okay, so moving on. Is this the last one? Yes, that's all. Cologne, 67. Uh, Donek, Dolphins, Drier. Um, 79. And... Dirk Basso managed to have 39 while spending large parts of the game with two chairs on his footplate near the halfway line, which is unbelievable. Um, I know that's like we just come on here and fawn about him, but um, yeah, I thought it was... Deserved. I thought it was interesting from like at one point, <laughs> I thought it was going to be a study in how to leverage being defended 30 feet from the basket versus how not to. Um, It ended up not being that, obviously, but there was one point earlier on where it was like Dirk Passerman would get jumped just out of the the centre circle. Uh, He'd either come off a pick and sort of drive towards the free throw line, kick to the wing and create a spot up for Corey Rossi or someone else. And we'd go down the other end of the floor and it would be Kortmaz and um, someone else just trying to high pick and roll to death while not getting jumped. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thank God it wasn't that for 40 minutes. Uh, it was a little bit more interesting, but I'd thought the four people who were on the floor that weren't dark Pass one at any given point did a quite good job of playing. They had to play four on three a lot, yeah. which is, once again, something that I haven't seen many teams do so concretely for periods, but I think everyone... Considering Pasawan also had 39, I think everyone else actually filled in quite well, um, hit their shots and like kind of played appropriately off someone getting so much heat defensively. And I think Pasawan, it's still mad that he managed to sort of balance that because I don't know, I think like. It'd be quite easy to have two chairs on your footplate and just be like, okay, I've literally done my job. Like, what do you want? But a guy like him is like any any chance you get where they haven't quite remembered to double team you yet. You're like, all right, see you later. Yeah. But,
1: do you think Passavan, like in the feeling out process of the game, do you think he's like, oh man, they're defending me full court with two chairs. I am only going to get 20 shots up in my 40 minutes. I better shoot like 75% to make the maths
0: work. For sure, uh, there are times where they like have sideline out-of-bounds plays, and it's interesting to see where he positions himself to like be able to get off a screen and get a shot off, or like cut away from the ball for a second. Like it's interesting to see him sort of figure that out and be like, okay, if they sort of front me here, can I cut through and get into the basket, or like can I take two with me? It's it's I don't know. It's just yeah. And it's, this this game was more weird than good like i just thought it was interesting
1: um, it's just interesting watching the brains of a guy who knows he's defended like that at all times like if you were to defend someone like that who had never received that level of defensive attention before they would probably just end up like sitting still and being like well i'm being defended by two people what do you expect me to do exactly (laughs) it's funny to watch somebody who is like so used to it they're like right i i'll break out the playbook for when i get defended by two guys
0: yeah. Um, there was one point where he got the ball on the right wing, got double jumped and split the double and like got the shot off himself anyway. <laughs> like they both jumped and they both flew by. And it was like, hey, what is yeah, like what is the purpose of what you're doing and have you achieved the purpose of what you were doing defensively? Probably not. Have
1: you, have you ever pump fake two guys?
0: No. Oh, I people, done, people would pay me to shoot life. when they played against me. Like <laughs> people people would roll out a red carpet for me to be four feet from the basket like
1: yeah i i don't know why but when i watched that play i remember i did that in a game once and at the time i was distinctly like neither of these people should be this concerned (laughs) about me shooting this whereas i wonder wonder if passing down like pump fakes they both fly by him and he's like ah yes of course exactly what i expected
0: I've I've got people on flybys before with you pump fake from like a spot up, but it's only like, I think I'm such a poor shooter that I go off the other end of the scale where it's like, I catch the ball and people are like, I can take this off him. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? There are people who don't get defended and then there are people who catch the ball and they get defended because they're like, ah, this guy is terrible. I'm going to go get this. And I worry that I'm on the other end of it, which is deeply upsetting. (laughs) 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 But, (laughs) But yeah. But there's um, nothing better than just being like, ah, where do you think you're going when someone flies by on a pump pick, but then you really have to make it.
1: I only have one point on cologne to wrap this up. Akita K or K Akita, it gets written down two different ways because obviously Japanese is written right to left, whereas English is written left to right. But
0: uh, yes. Obviously. But yeah. Um he
1: played just shy of four minutes and he had six points on 66% shooting. He's barely played all season because Cologne are just stocked with big guys and don't have the, repri- the requisite female low to make the points work. Do you? Well, I think this when I watch him. Do you not think he must be like, uh, this season isn't really going how I would have hoped individually? Because I think he could be playing a bigger role for a better team than he is currently.
0: Um. Yeah, I definitely think you should be playing. It's really unfortunate to have as many players as they do and not have figured out lineups. And I, I know there are financial restraints to all of this. Like, yeah. it's not like they didn't try. Um, it's funny when you speak to people about certain lineups. You're like, "God, you not think of signing this type of player?" And they're like, oh. "Like most of the time, it's yeah, we did. We just couldn't make it happen." But sometimes, like, "Oh yeah, no, we we didn't." Uh, yeah. But Um. yeah, he is obviously good enough to be playing somewhere in Europe and should probably be playing more. But yeah, Yeah. I don't know what's going on over there.
1: It's unfortunate, man, but it's like, Shabo's obviously playing a lot of minutes, justifiably so. And then Balut Kodal and Thomas Raya as their other um, high point players. Uh, I understand them having the investment in Thomas Raya because he's a young guy who they want to develop. Um, But I think Keokita offers, you know, something that a level of sophistication that I think the Cologne offense appears to lack in a lot of circumstances. And it's like just I know you're not playing to your maximum points if you're putting a 3.5 in for one of the 4.5s you like to play. But I promise you roll this guy out and he will benefit you.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I do and, think it's I do think it's funny that now Cologne just goes straight to like high pick and roll stuff because I'm like you can get some stuff out of this, but like not if people don't jump you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. Um the whole passavan experience kind of shows with this team with Cologne, I think they've maybe got more more guys, but Dirk Passavan is kind of like the wheelchair game Damian Lillard, where he's on a almost exclusively middling team and most games he'll just have a crack at beating you by himself and you know it seems to happen with Damian Lillard in the NBA that he'll have a streak of games every season where he'll just beat good teams four or five times in a row by averaging 45 points and Passavan versus Cologne is exactly that kind of thing
0: yeah shall we do the belt before we get out of here okay um here are your candidates
1: uh, candidate number one is Tommy having thirty-four against Hanover. And candidate number two was thinking maybe Lee Fryer for his triple double.
0: Uh yeah, Lee Fryer for the triple double's fun. Um and <laughs> Daniel asked me when he was going to get the belt for <laughs> this week. Um but it's a weird one. I don't know. Like I think yeah, not I um yeah, he had a good game, but I think a triple double against a team that's there, thereabouts in your part of the league, is is a cool. is something that we should mark. Tell Actually, Chimer, we can do whatever we want. We can tell Chema he needs to try harder. No, uh, it's never for lack of trying. That guy tries like nobody's business. He's
1: tell Chema the next time he gets a technical for cursing out the other team's coach, he can have the belt because that can't be far off.
0: I know we've got Champions Cup next week. I don't want to. Say, I don't want this to happen. <laughs> um co cool. all right uh Lee Fryer you get the belt Congrats. um what was i going to say i don't know if he listens to this but i've heard i've heard he's listened before but i don't know but i think people tell me this because they think i like really want to hear that they listen and I'm like oh that's nice <laughs> thanks um but yeah thanks very much for listening guys
1: uh, <laughs> yeah me, but... right um guest spot coming up We're hoping Thursday we're kind of getting back on the um, rails after having not done any guest spots over Christmas or whatever. So we're having to work out timings and such at the minute. But keep your eyes peeled if you want to get your questions in, and we will take it from there. So, yeah, cheers for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed another weekend roundup. Peace out. Bye.